Good evening, everybody. Say good evening to your neighbor with a smile and ask them how hours work today. Hours, the traffic today. Was there traffic? <laughs> there was. <laughs> There's always traffic in Lagos. That's why you're in Lagos. If you don't want traffic, go to the village. Okay, so um, today we are looking at a question that um, we have to wrestle with. You know, if, if you're a believer and in Christ, or even if you are not a believer, if you are, if you are, if you are an atheist, or even if you are agnostic, and you don't really know what you believe. It's a question that you would ask yourself time and again. And that question is this. Can I believe the Bible? Why should I believe the Bible? When did the Bible become the Word of God? What makes the Bible the Word of God? Why should I live my life based on um, a collection of ancient manuscripts? Why is that relevant to me um, 2018? Why should I Bodying myself with the concerns of a book that was written in a language that I have no clue about. Praise the name of the Lord. And if, if you are a believer long enough, you will have had someone, you will have had someone question your faith. So, so, so uh, the opening question is, is this. Have you ever been challenged for your faith? Anybody? Have you ever been challenged for your faith? It, maybe it's a colleague or it's a friend or maybe it's a classmate that says that, oh, you say you're a Christian, you know. Um, why do you believe what you believe? Or why do you think your Jesus is so um, cool? Why should he be the only way to God? Anybody? Has anybody's faith been challenged? Okay, there's a hand at the back. And you want to share it, um, that is. Okay. Yeah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Okay, I've been challenged severally. Like, wow. I have some Muslim friends. So, in the past, I used to argue with them, you know. I would tell them, no, why is it in the back? One thing I found out is these people are well-read. As in, they even know the Bible that most, most of us. Absolutely. You know, so this guy in my place of work, we were eating at lunch and he was like, didn't you go for, didn't you visit your Muslim friends during the Salah break? And I was like, no. He said, why? I said, because I 
I know that if I go, they will offer me something to eat and I know that I cannot eat, so there's no point. It was not like, do you know this old ram thing came from Abraham? I was curious and I asked him, how? He said, when God gave him the ram and <laughs> he now killed it and he shared it, that's why they are doing that. So I was not like, but it's not in the Bible that Abraham killed the ram and he shared it. You know, he, he now went on to say, why do we even believe in Jesus? Jesus is just like a man's servant, like um, Mohammed. I was not like, never, don't even go there. Jesus is not. And now told me to check my Bible, check for Matthew 19, 16. I checked and the passage says, Jesus, the son of God. He said, no, I should check King James Version. I went to Google because I didn't have it. I checked and King James Version says, Jesus, the son of God. He said, no, no, no. Go to reverse standard. <laughs> now we are going to see all that. <laughs> so so I, how did I, it end? How did it end? I, I checked that one and I saw Jesus, the servant of God. And I told him I didn't see it. Because I know that there's no point arguing with him. Because okay. I don't really have the facts. That's why I'm here today to learn. Amen. Tomorrow I'm going to tackle him. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I must say that. The teaching of today, <clears throat> the teaching of today was, it was like seven weeks of, of teaching that I will have done in seven weeks that we are condensing to one day. So I pray you get it and you tackle him well. Okay, <clears throat> one more that we, we dive in. Um, there was the first hand that came up. I didn't want to deprive the, the man. There's someone at the back. Okay. Um, Okay, fine. So we, we go on. Does anybody have the mic? Nobody has the mic. Okay, fine. So um, that's it. Most of us have been, you know. And <laughs> uh, let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Can I believe the Bible? Deuteronomy 4, 2. Then Deuteronomy 12, 32. And, and Revelation 22, 18 to 19. Deuteronomy 4.2 says, do not add to or subtract from this command I am giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you. Deuteronomy 12. So be careful to obey all the commands I give you. You must not add anything to them or subtract anything from them. Revelations 22, 18 and 19 says, I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the word of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life, and in the holy city that is described in this book. So, we see here immediately that this book, albeit self-proclaimed, is weighty. Now, the question is, should we take this, the content, seriously? And many of us don't know why we believe what we believe. But we believe. 
And we are living in a world that people will constantly challenge your faith, challenge why you pray, challenge why you go to church. Why can't you just stay in your house? Some people will challenge why you give. Why do you tithe? Some people will challenge why you are so loving. Why do you allow people to take you for granted? Why must you be the fool? So, knowing why you do what you do is totally, totally indispensable. But you see, it's one thing to truly believe something for yourself. It's another thing to be brainwashed. And there's a difference. There's a difference. The person who believes and the person who is brainwashed usually appear the same because they hold tenaciously to whatever they profess. The person who is brainwashed and the person who believes behaves the same way. But there's a huge difference. So what is the difference? God wants us to believe. God just doesn't want us to act as people that have been brainwashed. He wants us to believe. So what's the difference between the person that truly believes and the person that is brainwashed? We've heard husbands say to wives, um, oh, they're just brainwashing you without your church. <laughs> you know? Uh, now your pastor has told you a lie again. He's brainwashing you people. Or wife says to their husband, you have been brainwashed, whatever. You know? So, what is the difference? Who wants to go? Yes. You notice that in this kind of teaching, in this kind of teaching, you will have to use your brain. Many times when we come to church, we don't want to use our brains. You have to use your brain. And your brain is working very well in Jesus' name. Say amen. amen. So what's the difference between being brainwashed and... and, and Praise being, the Lord. Yeah, yeah. I think the person who believes is convicted in their heart. Like they have, a, they have their own convincing um, fact to hold on to aside what they've heard. But somebody that is brainwashed just takes the facts and says it like input and output but someone that is that believes takes in the facts and has a conviction so they have okay. another story behind their own story okay okay correct that's correct yes there's another hand right there thank you praise the lord hallelujah i believe that when you believe you see the truth you believe that when you believe that. <laughs> you're you not brainwashed that when you believe you see the truth <laughs> you see the truth yeah and when you're brainwashed, um, you are convinced or you just uh, support or you just um, don't want to say no. Okay, fine. So, thank you, both of you. Someone who believes does so because of evidence, because of the evidence before them. Someone who is brainwashed does so in spite of the evidence before them. Huge difference. Someone that, is, that believes, believes because of the evidence before them. Someone that is brainwashed believes in spite of the evidence. So, if you meet somebody that is brainwashed, even when you show them clear-cut evidence, they are not going to believe. They are going to hold on to what they have been holding on to. 
And you see, God wants us to believe. God wants us to examine our faith. God wants us to examine the facts and believe based on what we have seen ourselves. You know, the Samaritans in John 4 said to the Samaritan woman towards the end of the chapter that we first believed because of what you told us. That was why we came. They told her, now we believe for ourselves because we have seen him for ourselves. And when we look at the Bible, the importance of the message of the Bible demands that it is able to withstand scrutiny. The importance of the message of the Bible demands that the Bible is able to withstand scrutiny. The greatness of our God demands that our God is able to defend himself. When you have a God that is not able to defend himself, and you say he's the greatest, but you must kill for him, something is wrong with that. Praise the name of the Lord. Something is wrong with that, fundamentally. When you have a text, a book, that cannot be brought to the public square and be scrutinized by people that don't believe the book, and what you, your response is to stone them, something is wrong with that. But the Bible has withstood thousands and thousands of years of scrutiny and still stands strong. Praise the name of the Lord. Our God is able to defend himself. You know the story of the Philistines when they took the Ark of God? By scientists. A renowned British historian, and I've quoted him a few times in the past, you know, I'm going to quote him again. His name is H.G. Wells. Has, has this to say, um, H.G. Wells says that, I am an historian. I am not a believer. He says, look, I'm not a believer, I'm an historian. I deal with facts. Historical facts. He says, but I must confess that as an historian, that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant person in all history. I mean, these guys, they put the word of God to scrutiny. They checked historical facts. And this guy says, look, this Jesus, I don't believe in him. But he's undeniably the center of history. Praise the name of the Lord. And it's important for us as believers to step back and, 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 and check why do we believe what we believe. God is not afraid for you to ask questions. Many times we don't want to ask questions because we don't want, we don't want to, uh, be, to show God as if we are disloyal. No. God is not afraid of your questions. God wants us to ask questions. They have to be sincere though. But if you ask sincere questions, God always gives answers. Our faith has to be examined. Personally, in my work with God, I've had moments that I said, and I've shared it with, with you extensively, I usually share during Easter, that I've said, why should I follow Jesus? 
I mean, I'm sorry, God. I, you know, I, if you are there, but I need to know, why should I follow Jesus? Why? Who is he? Why should I pass out my life after him? And, you know, and I shared my discovery with you. It changed my life totally. Totally. And I've also asked this question, I'm, I mean, and the answers that I'm, I'm sharing with you is, why can we really believe the Bible? Where did it come from? So, it is not a problem to examine your faith. It's not a problem to examine your faith. Like I quoted on Sunday, um, someone that said that an unexamined faith is not worth having. For it can be true only by accident. James Luther Adams. It can be true only by accident. So if you have a faith that you've not examined, it's not worth living. It's not worth having. It robs us when we don't examine our faith and we just follow. It says, oh, uh, God just requires total submission. So just follow. <laughs> God didn't say that. It's after you have believed that this, the, the submission is required. Praise the name of the Lord. And for you to believe, you must examine the facts. It drops us of our liberty to make up our own minds based on evidence and reason. And that is the day everyone that claims one religion or the other sincerely step back and examine their faith. That day, terrorism will come to an end in the world. The reason there's religious terrorism, either those that was orchestrated by the Christians during the uh, crusade, Crusaders' time, or the ones we are currently facing by the Muslims. The only reason it will go on is because we have people that will refuse to examine their faith, examine what they are doing, and just believe that what they've been told is right, because it's been supported by a few passages of scripture and begin to kill people. Terrorism comes to an end. And too often, Christians go through life unprepared for their beliefs to be challenged. We go through life unprepared for our beliefs to be challenged because they don't know for themselves what they believe. And that is the purpose of apologetics. In this time, at this, in this dispensation, if you will, one of the, the greatest tools that God needs the church to have is, is actually two-pronged. One is power. Everyone say power. The other is apologetics. What's apologetics? Apologetics is, an apology is just, an apolog, apologetics is defending a position, defending an apology um, is someone that defends a position, a faith, or, or whatever. So apologetics is the discipline of, of examining your faith, gathering data, arranging it properly, and presenting 
your argument. For instance, my sister said, uh, Muslim friends kept barraging her that, um, <laughs> you know, about oh, Jesus and all that. So she will leave this place today and go and study. Praise the name of the Lord. So that she can break it down for them. Because they need to, to hear it. And the power bits, you know, like my brother's testimony, you know, which you are going to die in seven days. No, you are going to die in seven days. Who died in seven days? Now, so that's the power bit. God wants us at this time to have the power going and our apologetics going. So we have to study the Bible. You have to come to Bible study. You, you see, Bible study is indispensable. You have to come to Bible study. You must be equipped. Praise the name of the Lord. First Peter 3.15 First Peter 3.15 says to us that but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as Holy, as holy, always being prepared. Can you see that? Always being what? Prepared. Always being prepared to make a defense. Apologia, that's the, the root word there, to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason. Logos, your, your, your thinking, your reasoning behind your hope. Now, he warns us, yet do it with what? Gentleness and respect. So, while we are to engage culture, engage our friends, and we are ready to defend our faith, we are not doing it um, with disrespect, we are not doing it with pride, we are not doing it with, if you don't believe, you go to hell, hellfire is waiting for you. You know, we are not doing it with we are doing it with respect and gentleness. So when we look at the Bible, the origin of the Bible is pretty interesting. Um, can we see? Can we see this? Can you zoom in on this? Just this. Don't worry about me. You can see me already. Cool. <clears throat> yeah. Can you see the, the lettering on it? You can. Good. So now, the Bible was not the Bible as we know it. Who has a physical Bible here? Let me see. Now, here with you, you have a Bible. Physical one. Let me see. Those are the spiritual people. <laughs> Even me, I don't have one. Okay. Can I have it? The closest person to me. Can you please give me your Bible? Thank you. Is it full Bible or New Testament? Eh? It's complete. Okay. Okay, there's Revelation inside. And there's Genesis. <laughs> now, the Bible did not... Starts by being a Bible like this in print. No, in fact, the printing technology came 
not too long ago, really, compared to the timeline. So the Bible and scriptures was written in parchment, in scrolls, on leather, the very old ones on, on clay and, and rocks. And it, is, it was compiled. I'm going to explain the process of compilation. It was compiled to what is known as the original manuscript. Now, the original manuscript, they were um, a group of people called scribes. They are responsible to copy out the scriptures from the original manuscript. Now, the scribe is not just copying. And the scribe has gone through training and they follow like 4,000 protocols to make sure that there is no error in the scriptures. So they copy and copy and copy. Now, the original was in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, depending on the part of of the, the Bible that you are reading. Now, different versions began to evolve. Tyndale, Bishop's version, our popular King James version came um, came in 1611. Revised KJV, American Standard Version. Now, something happened here. They discovered some scrolls in the Dead Sea. You must have heard about Dead Sea Scroll. Have you, anybody else heard of Dead Sea Scroll? Good. Uh, Timdy, you have? Adults, any adults? Children have heard everything in Cartoon Network. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> now, when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, two things happened. The Dead Sea Scrolls were the closest to the original. So the Dead Sea Scrolls validated. The exist now this testicle was covered in the maybe 40s or 50s or something. Very recently. So it validated all, and from obviously archaeologists could tell how old the scroll was. <laughs> Do you understand? So it wasn't something that somebody wrote a tree in the Dead Sea. It's something that had been there for centuries. So it validated all these versions that existed on one hand. On the other hand, it exposed their inaccuracies. And these inaccuracies are in, in spellings, in, in language and context. Like if you spell um, Jehovah with J-E-H-O-V-A-H, then here it will be Yahweh, Y-H-W, you know, things like that. But those things don't fundamentally affect the faith. Praise the name of the Lord. But it exposed it. Now, what the newer version did was because of this new information, they now became more, um, they, they moved away from the original kind of understanding of scriptures 
and they were bold enough to say sorry. That's why you will notice in the NIV, some passages in the KJV were removed. And some KJV allow me to wait on and say, oh, NIV is the book of the devil. That's not correct. The reason they remove it was that they would put a footnote that it was not in the dead sea scroll, in the original that was discovered. Are we together? Good. Now, and, 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 think, and discrepancies like that. But you see, the, the, the bottom line is that those discrepancies are like just semantics. I saw the moon rise from the right-hand side. No, 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 no. It should be the moon rose from the east. So why is one version saying right-hand side and one version saying east? Your Bible is inaccurate. Does that even make sense? It doesn't make sense. So the um, Death Sea Scroll now empowered the newer version, God's Word, NLT. NLT is the newest kid on the block as at, as at the time. NLT is the one we use, I mean, here primarily. You know, um, JB Amplified and on and on and on. Praise the name of the Lord. So how did we move from the different parchments and different writings and have a single book called the Bible. How come that the Hebrews, the Jews, they have their own Bible that is different from our own Bible? Why is our own Bible different from theirs? If they are the custodians, then the Catholics have, and the Eastern Orthodox churches, they have their own Bible that is different from the Christian church Bible and different from the Hebrew Bible. Why? Now, when there was the distribution or the, or the, or the yes, distributed form, when the scriptures was in the distributed form, written in different parchments, different books, different parts of the Bible. A council, let's start with the Jewish Bible. A council of rabbis, the best of the best rabbis, the most legit of the most legit rabbis, came together, they formed a council, and they looked at all the books and they said, this ones we cannot verify the source. This ones we can verify the source. Moses wrote it. It was copied by, first copied by this scribe. They know the name of the scribe. Then copied by this scribe. They know the name of the scribe. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the Torah was giving a pass back. Go. Then they went to the next set of books. We know who wrote this. We know where the original is. We know who wrote, who transcribed it. So long and short, they came up with the, what we know today as the Old Testament. Are we still together? 
Good. <laughs> they came up with the Old Testament. So you had the Old Testament. But not necessarily in the way we have arranged ours. Different arrangement. The early church, when the early church started, about 100 B.C., after all the letters have been written, John has written his letter, Paul has written his letter, Peter has written his letter, you know, and all that. A council of church elders came together. Similar to the rabbis, right? And said, they went through all the work the rabbis did, and they said, we accept the um, Hebrew scriptures as the word of God. And the word used there is canonical. They accepted it as canonical. So it, it became canonical scriptures. You, I mean, I've heard canonical scriptures before. Good, good, fine. So it became the standard. The word canon is, is the standard. It, be, it became the standard scriptures. Now, they included Matthew, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts of the Apostles. Listen, if every Christian takes the time to understand their faith, you'll be able to walk your faith in a more confident way in the marketplace. Like um, Talia said, a lot of people on the other side, they read the Bible more than us. And you're not, it's not supposed to be. But guess what? They, they don't have the Spirit of God, so they can't get the correct interpretation. Instead, they are looking for the flaws, and that they will see plenty of flaws, quote and unquote. So don't uh, be excited about scriptures. Praise the Lord. Okay, so where did I stop? Canonical scriptures. So the elders of the early church came together and we had what is now known as the New Testament and the Old Testament. Now, what about the Catholic Bible? The Catholic, the, the, the papacy, they came together, the leadership, and they did the same thing. And they have the Old Testament is the same. Old Testament is the same. Hebrews, Jewish Bible, Christian Bible. But... Not Catholic Bible. New Testament is the same. Christian Bible, Catholic Bible, but Jewish Bible don't have New Testament because they, they believe the Messiah is still coming. They don't believe that Jesus has come. Praise the name of the Lord. They believe he's still coming. So, Old Testament, the Christian Bible that you have with you has the exact scriptures the Jews read in the Old Testament. The Catholic Church's Bible has that and seven other books added to it. First and second Maccabee, the book of Judith, the book, um, the, the additional books of Esther, you know, and addition, the, you know, six and seven books of Moses. Have you heard that before? 
Now, but the Jewish rabbis and the Christian elders, independent of each other, came to the conclusion that those seven books, in fact, there are seven others, there are 14 books that were not included in the Bible. But the Jewish rabbi and the Christian leaders, independent of each other, agreed that those books, they cannot trust the source of the books. So they declared those books apocrypha. Apocrypha means dubious source. So seven of the apocrypha book, of the 14 apocrypha book, the Catholic added to their Bible, which is why we use different Bibles. Praise the name of the Lord. Are we still together? So basically, <clears throat> I hope this can be seen. Can it? Cool. So, Basically, the summary of what I've said is this. The Jewish Old Testament, there are 24 books. The Christian Old Testament, there are 39 books. But Pastor, you just said that they are exactly the same. Jewish Old Testament and Christian Old Testament, yes, they are. The um, Jewish Old Testament puts a lot of books together. So the law, the Torah, is, is the same. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But they have prophets and the writings. So you will see Jesus saying it's things like in the law and the prophets. In the law and the prophets. You see in New Testament a lot. In the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. It's referring to these two books without the writings. Now, the Christian church, thank you. The Christian churches. Um, <laughs> book, our Bible, now has the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is different. The Old Testament is broken down to the law, the pre-exile time, the post-exile time, wisdom book, major prophet, minor prophet. But these books are, the contents are exactly the same. I didn't bother putting the Catholic um, Old Testament, but it's the same except that they added those seven books that both the Christian leaders and the Jewish leaders say that those books are not canonical. So those books are not canonical as far as we are concerned. Praise the name of the Lord. Are we still together? Okay. Let me pause here and take some questions before we go on. Do we have any questions? Yes. Oh, children are always raising their hands. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Uh, maybe I might have missed it when you, because a lot of information is just coming like, um, like flood. Right. Um, in, in the Dead Scrolls, did you mention that the Apocrypha was among the books, the found within the Dead Scrolls? No, I did not. Okay, so um, was it 
among the books? Is that the question? Uh, no, it wasn't. Wasn't, okay. No. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Now, um, obviously, the, the other books that were found were found in different places too. Do you understand? By archaeological discoveries, you know? So, but they were not accepted as canonical. I think that's the key thing. They, they were not accepted as canonical. They were seen as apocrypha. A-P-O-C-R-Y-P-H-A. Now, if you buy the um, NRSV, the NRSV version of the Bible, I, I have, I don't, I use digital Bibles, but I have a lot of physical Bibles. Where I sleep, I have two physical Bibles there. I'm always having different Bibles, physical Bibles, you know. So one of my Bibles, the, the NRSV, actually contains all the apocryphal books. All the, I don't read them because I've not finished the Genesis <laughs> to Revelation. But it's interesting. Sometimes I go through them, but again, I, do, I wouldn't advise you to look for them and I wouldn't advise you to read them. Focus on getting the word of God inside first before you start looking for what is not missing. Praise the Lord. Okay, anybody else? Thank you for that question. Yes, sir. Hello. Yes, sir. Um, sorry, I read somewhere about the Roman Emperor Constantine and how he had a hand in the shaping of the Bible. So I wanted to ask if you could put my mind to rest about that. Yes, so what, what do you mean in shaping of the Bible? I, I in what regard? That he had some effect in which books were put in the Bible, which weren't, and that he burned some scrolls or books that were formerly in the Bible before. Okay. Uh, okay. There's a lot of stories about Constantine. That would be wrong. That story would be wrong because Constantine um, actually became a Christian for, a pol for political purposes. Well, I think it's for political purposes because politicians, you can't really trust them. You know, for, because the church has become very powerful. Constantine actually became, got baptized. And gave an, a, a decree that anyone that persecutes Christians will be crucified. Meanwhile, Christians used to be the ones that was crucified. So did Constantine uh, affect a version of the Bible? Probably. It probably made them write a version. The person that the king, the person that, uh, uh, <laughs> that probably doctored the Bible was King James of, of England, right? He, because he wanted to marry another wife, somebody else's wife, and they told him he could not. So he was the one that doctored the Bible to fit his own story. But let's talk after, maybe. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, you can fact check and see what you are reading from and all that. Praise the Lord. Right. We, so we see that from 
um, from these different versions of the Bible now has come to life. So, the Bible, the different Bibles that we have, this is called easy-to-read version. In other words, it's just easy to read. Just be reading, you know, <laughs> of the Bible. There are four types of Bible translations, and they have different purposes. If you understand the different types and the different purposes, you really will not be um, flustered if you see a Bible translation approaching scriptures in a certain way, you know, and others approaching scriptures in a different way. The first is, there are two main, but, you know, I've explained the two before, but I've kind of broken them down to four again. The, the, the first is the literal translation. This is word-for-word translation. Here, scholars translate each word based on the word usage at the time of writing. So, even though no literal translation can actually be word for word, but the intent is to come as close as possible. An example of word for word translation, literal, is KJV. Another example is, is, is the one we use in our Bible study, the NRSV, is a literal translation. It seeks to do one to one translation. The second type is the interpreted translation. Thought for thought, instead of word for word. So, in, in the interpreted translations, they read a phrase, and instead of trying to say word for word, they, they, they interpret what it means. So, scholars translate the meaning of each thought. An example is RNLT. NLT is thought for thought, and good news translation, good news is also thought for thought. The thought type of, of uh, Bible translations is those that seek balance, the balance. They want to have a balance of literal and Interpreted. Balance of word for word and thought for thought. Now, between a word for word and thought for thought approach, an example is NIV. NIV is balanced. Or seek to be, seeks to be balanced. The CEB, the Common English Bible, seeks to be balanced. Then, um, the fourth one this one actually stands by itself, is the paraphrase. The paraphrase. Now, the, with the paraphrase, the paraphrase is a restatement of a translation in modern vocabulary. It's a restatement. So, if, if a picture is painted using analogies of shekels, 15 shekels of silver, a literal translation will say 15 shekels of silver. We try as much to stay with 15 shekels of silver. A paraphrased translation 
will convert how much that is to current day money and say it's about $15,000. So it's like the idea is not, you, you don't know what shekel is. So the idea is that for you to know the value, praise the name of the Lord. So, I haven't said all this. I'm going to breeze through reasons seven reasons why you can't believe the Bible. Now, The first, before I talk about the first, it is important that we understand that we can't use what is known as, as secular reasoning as justification for the Bible. So it is important not to let secular reasoning become justification for believing the Bible. What's secular reasoning? Secular reasoning is, is just like saying, we cannot say one should believe the Bible simply because the Bible says we should believe the Bible. Secular reason is when you grow up, when you're growing up, you're in, your, you're in some adult house and the, somebody comes, you have been somebody's, somebody's house, you're the, you the father or you're the son, you thought of the person. And another man comes, and another man says, oh, I just want you to know I'm your father. Why? Why how, will I, how, will I, how are you my father? Because I say so. So that's secular reasoning, you know? So until we do a DNA test, and know who the father is before you can say. And a lot of things happen by secular reasoning anyway, but which is, you know, you have... A child, two children, five children. Who told you you are the father? How did they know you are their father? Because you told them you are daddy, right? That's secular reasoning. So how do they know that you are daddy? How do you even know that you are the daddy? You don't know. The only person that knows is the mommy. <laughs> I know I'll cause trouble here. <laughs> But <laughs> it's all shakara. You just tell you that, oh God, cool down. You are not the one. Now, 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 now. So that's secular reasoning. We can't use secular reasoning for the word of God. Even though you are going to see how powerful secular reasoning now becomes with the word of God. But we are going to step away from secular reasoning. So can I believe the Bible? Number one, why should should I believe the Bible? Because the message is consistent. I should believe the Bible because of the consistent message. The, the message is consistent. The Bible is made up of 66 different books. If you are filling the blanks, that's 66 different books. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament that were written over 1,600 years ago, from 15, 
100 BC to 100 AD, 100. By more than 40 authors, more than 40 different people of different <laughs> uh, professions, are diff- living at different times, different generations. So you have kings, you have fishermen, you have doctors, you have lawyers. Lawyers were part of people that wrote the Bible. You have even tax collectors. Wasn't Matthew a tax collector? Yet, it carries one harmonious message. The message from Genesis to Revelation is uncannily consistent. Uncannily consistent. Man is in trouble. God is coming to solve man's problem. It's a Messiah is coming from Genesis to Revelation. Same message. Same message. There's a God that loves you. There's a God that cares for you. Same message from Genesis to Revelation. It's, 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 um, it's very noteworthy. Number two, fulfilled prophecies. Fulfilled prophecies. Can I believe the Bible? Yes. Number one, message is consistent. Number two, fulfilled prophecies. Some of the biblical writers made claims about future events centuries in advance. They came to pass with such accuracy. Daniel's prophecies. Jeremiah's prophecies. I mean, even Moses's. They make, they make statements consistent. Look at even the birth of Jesus. Over 300, was this 300 or 600 last time we checked? Direct prophecies about Jesus by different people. Everything happened. One man. That cannot be a coincidence. Praise the name of the Lord. Number three. Another reason why one should believe in the Bible is its scientific and historical accuracy. Its scientific and historical accuracy. For instance, did you know that the water cycle was described in scriptures centuries before it was a scientific discovery? The book of Job already talked about speaking to the clouds, releasing the rain, how it passes through the earth, how it goes back. The water cycle was clearly described in the book of Job and the book of Psalms centuries before it became a scientific discovery. Then somebody came and says he has discovered water cycle and they put it in his name that he was the one that discovered it. Meanwhile, it was written in the Bible hundreds of years before he was born. Praise the name of the Lord. The discovery of the Dead Sea Scroll that we saw confirmed astonishing reliability of scriptures. So the Dead Sea Scroll that was discovered recently compared to the timeline confirmed the accuracy of scriptures. Did you know that until recently, archaeologists and historians and, and, and scientists say there's no historical proof of the city of Hittite? 
Neither is there any historical proof of the city of Nazareth. They said there was no Nazareth, that there was no proof of Nazareth. But recently, archaeologists discovered a hidden city of Nazareth, a hidden city of Hittites. So what does that tell you? Even while man is updating his knowledge, the word of God is complete in itself. Praise the name of the Lord. So powerful. How can you say that there's no Nazareth? It's Jesus of... But we believe. But they say there's no... You have to show us until God allowed one of them to discover it. They say, ah, ah, ah. This city is like the Nazareth they described in the Bible. They checked it fact for fact. Accurate. Number, number four. The practical power of the Bible. Just to the practical power of the Bible. How many, how many times have you been in a situation where you quote the word of God? It is written. And the situation moves. If it's an ordinary word, will it move? I cannot tell you the number of times I'm in a deliverance session and the demon is making noise. And I say to the demon, in the name of Jesus, because it is written, and I quote the appropriate scripture, I don't remember, it depends on the situation, get out, and they, and they fly out. Why would they obey me if it's not the word of God? Why would they obey you if it's not the word of God? How many times have, have you been ill and you have said, it is written, by the wounds of Jesus, I am healed. And you were, and you, you were healed. The potency and the power itself speaks. Speaks. Many of us are where we are today because we held on to God's word. Because we held on to God's word. Many of us have had contrary reports from, from doctors, from, from economists, from, from government. But we say no. Whose reports would you believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. And by standing on that word, we cancel everything that is contrary and the word of God comes to pass. That's not any ordinary word. Number five. Why you can't believe the Bible? Number five. They were eyewitnesses. First John 1 John 1.1. It says, this word, this word that we proclaim to you, we saw him with our own eyes. We heard with our own ears. This is not them say them say, I heard this myself. And my hand handled him. The word of life I'm giving you. So they were eyewitnesses. And this eyewitnesses, which is going to lead us to number six, the eyewitnesses, uh, when you look at Jesus, I told you about my journey in, um, when I was asking, why should I follow Jesus, right? There were three things that settled it for me forever. The most important one for me 
was the fact that there were eyewitness reports of Jesus' resurrection. People actually saw Jesus resurrecting. And guess what? These people died for their testimony. Now, if, 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 if they gather everybody together, if they are, this, this were not just two, three people. We are talking about not 500 people that saw him. And they say, okay, let us all connive that we saw Jesus. By the time they begin to kill people one by one, one person, one person will say the truth. <laughs> you know? One person will say, they all died for their faith. If someone can say, I saw him, and they nailed the person to the cross upside down, I still did not deny. I said, okay, two people, they boiled one in hot oil. I still did not deny. Three people, they skinned him alive. I still did not deny. The doubting Thomas, they impaled him with a spear from his anus to his mouth. He still did not deny. Jesus is alive. <laughs> Jesus is alive. <laughs> Jesus is alive. And I can go on and on and on and on and on. And the way they died was... They, their death were historical facts. Their death was not even in the Bible. Do you know that? Their deaths are historical facts. If you go to National Geographic, their website, search, you will see there fa- there's proven facts of how each of them died. And when Jesus says, if somebody says, I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to rise again, and the person is able to pull it off, he died and rose again. He says, I lay my life down, and I have the power to take it again. And he put it down, and he resurrected. I'm following that person. I'm following Jesus. <laughs> he, I, I, you, know, you know, he keeps his word. I, I did follow that guy back. I said to this for me. And I shared the remaining two days. There's, there's no time, but the resurrection of Jesus was the biggest part for me. So number four... Number six, the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus. Jesus' testimony. Jesus, what did Jesus say about the word of God? If Jesus says the word of God is true, then it is true. Because I know Jesus is alive and Jesus is not a liar. Jesus effectively endorsed the Jewish canon. Effectively endorsed the Jewish canon. When he made this statement in Matthew 23, 35. Matthew 23, 35. He says, as a result, they will be held responsible for the mother of all godly people of the time. From the mother of righteous Abel. See, Jesus was quoting Genesis 4. To the mother of Zechariah, son of Berakain, quoting the prophet, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. Jesus was authenticating the whole Old Testament. If you read John 10.35, John 10.35, it says, And you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. 
So if those people who received God's message were called gods, and on and on and on, but the key thing here is this. You know the scriptures cannot be altered. What scriptures? At the time of Jesus, there was no New Testament. It was authenticating the Old Testament. Matthew 5.18. This is so powerful. Since I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Not the smallest detail will disappear. So the word of God is reliable, is believable, because number one, the message is consistent. Number two, fulfillment of prophecies. Number three, scientific and historical accuracy. Number four, the practical power of the Bible. Number five, number six, testimony of Jesus. Now, when you want to really be rooted in God, there's no microwave. There's no, you, you cannot fast track it. Some things will just take time. Praise the Lord. But the more equipped you are, the more powerful you are. Before I share the final one and the last one, I have a four-minute video that I want us to see. That kind of wraps it up. These days, many Christians, especially college-age students, find their faith in God and the Bible questioned, if not downright assaulted. Sometimes they'll have a professor that's going to outright challenge why they believe what they believe and say, look, what you believe is actually a fairy tale. Not so, according to three of the world's top biblical experts, who told CBN News there's good reason to have faith in your faith. The faith is very, very defendable. That's why it's lasted for 2,000 years. They point to how even respected non-believers wrote about Jesus. Sixteen total historians apart from the scripture or anything else that reference Christ. Almost everything about Christ we can find out without ever going to the New Testament. The fact is surviving manuscripts we have for almost any ancient writings were produced hundreds of years after those original writings. Jonathan Morrow tells students at the Impact 360 Institute there's more evidence that Jesus lived than Julius Caesar, yet no one doubts Caesar existed. Also, a rule is the closer in time the writer was to events, the more likely his account is accurate. Peter, John, and James lived with Jesus. John said, what our eyes have seen, what our ears have heard, what our hands have handled, is what we're declaring unto you. In other words, we were eyewitnesses. We were there. And Morrow points out Paul and Luke interviewed them and knew many others who witnessed Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. When you're doing history, you want early and you want eyewitnesses. And the gospel writers give you both. They investigated everything carefully. They have the ring of truth to them. They include embarrassing details. Another understanding among scholars? What the age does, they find the closer the manuscript to the original, less chance of error or miscopy. But McDowell explains no original copies exist of the most well-respected and accepted ancient works. When you look at Greek and Roman historians like Herodotus and Tacitus and Livy, I mean, those are hundreds of years later, 500, 600, 700 years after the fact. Bible manuscripts, though, get closer to the original work than any other. We've got manuscripts and fragments that show up within 35, 40 years of the time when they were written. Why does that matter? It means there's not enough time for error in mythology to corrupt the message of what's going on there. Second, the more manuscripts you have, the easier it is to reconstruct the original. 
Here, the surviving ancient copies or pieces of the Bible way outnumber all others. 66,420 some manuscripts and scrolls. McDowell says second place is Homer's The Iliad with just 1,800. We do trust Homer. How much more so should we trust the New Testament documents? With so many more copies, no surprise there'd be occasional errors. And critics claim there are some 400,000 mistakes or variants in the Bible. Well, 99% of those 400,000 or so number evaporate simple spelling errors, word order. Like H-O-N-O-R, H-O-N-O-U-R. But none of those it, that texts that are in question affect any central teaching of Christian doctrine or practice. And Bach and Morrow explained to students many of the so-called contradictions in the Bible are just different ways of telling the same story. And difference does not equal contradiction, it's just difference. Doubters have a hard time believing that the Bibles we're reading today could accurately reflect the actual words written by the authors so many centuries ago. But McDowell explains how for Jewish scribes, copying books like Genesis and Exodus was holy work and strictly controlled. 4,000 regulations the scribe had to follow to guarantee accuracy. Monks had tight rules for copying as well. Another reason to trust the Bible, archaeology and related research have time and again shown the Bible's true and Bible skeptics wrong. Archaeology has probably cleared up already over half of all what appeared to be alleged discrepancies in the scriptures. Skeptics would say there's no record of a Nazareth, so the New Testament can't be true, and no record of the Hittites, so the Old Testament can't be true. Well, archaeology and associated research shows both existed. But now you can go to Harvard or anywhere else and study the Hittite language. Finally, there's the proof of logic. The apostles kept saying to their opponents, you know what I'm talking about. You were there. McDowell points out that's a crazy thing to do if you're making the whole thing up. They appealed to the knowledge of their opponents for the facts of which they talk about. To me, that's one of the best tests of truth historically. Bach asked what better proof the earliest disciples weren't making it all up than the fact they almost all were martyred for it. You don't die knowingly for something that you know you made up. Paul Strand, CBN News. Hallelujah. So number seven is, by the way, we'll send out this video to everybody if you want to watch it again. Number seven is why I should, that is the seven reasons for, <laughs> the seventh reason for why I, I can't believe the, the Bible. The seventh is secular reasoning. Secular reasoning. After we've established the first six, then secular reasoning can begin to make sense. Which means, while it is important not to let secular reasoning become the justification for believing the Bible, however, once the authority of the Bible is established, then secular reasoning becomes a very potent justification for the Bible. Does that make sense? No. Okay. You remember the analogy we said about the, the, the father? That if the man that, because you are the man in the house and you've been paying the school fees of the children, does not necessarily mean you are their dad. It doesn't. So um, your wife tells you, well, I have good news for you. Good and bad news. Good news is you don't have to pay school fees again. The bad news is because you're not <laughs> the father of these children. <laughs> then 
you, you challenge it, and you do a DNA test, and the DNA test shows that you are actually the father of the children. So she has some explanations to make. But apart from that, now you have proven that you are the father of the children. So when you say to them, I am your dad, and you say to them, this is what your grandfather did. This runs in our family. We are kings. You are a prince. It's cyclical reasoning, but it, it is established on the fact that it's proven already that he's the father. Praise the name of the Lord. Does that make sense now, sir? Good. So, the Bible, we've already shown and proven that the Bible is legit. So, what the Bible now says about itself can now begin to be legit. But we can't start from there until we get to where we are today, right now. So, the scripture claims that the Bible is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. And teaches us to do what is right. All scripture is inspired by God. So the Bible is saying, all scripture is inspired by who? By God. Written by David. Written by Solomon. Written by Moses. Written by Paul. Written by Peter. Written by 40 different people. But inspired by God. So all scripture is God's word. And the Bible says so. Just like the father saying to that, his children, in that analogy I gave, that... Um, um, you are my son. I have a $5 billion portfolio of assets. So because you are my son, it is yours. But the man has already proved that he's your father, so you wouldn't doubt that he had portfolio. I said, Pastor, even if he's not my father, I let him bring, <laughs> let him bring the inheritance. I'll get it. But the point is this. He can say, you're a prince because we have royalty in my family. He can, he can make a lot of claims because he's proven that what? That is the father. Right. Second Peter 1.21 says, The Bible was not given of any human initiative. He says, No. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So this book you are holding is actually an inspired book from God. They, they wrote as God spoke to them. So when you read the Bible, you are reading the word of God. And the word of God does not fail. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God says that he loves you, he loves you. If you read it again, it still says, I love you. If God says that you are the apple of my eyes, if you read it again, it actually still means you are the apple of, your eye, of, of my eyes. 
Some of us, when we're growing up, and you are dating a guy, and he writes a letter and says, oh, I really love you, and all the nice, nice things, it probably means it there. Five years down the line, the same guy will say, sorry, I don't mean what I've said there. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were young. We didn't know I left from our right. But you said you loved me. I, I, I didn't mean it. But that's not God. God says, you, have, you are grieving in the palm of my hands. Your words are forever before me. If you check that five years from now, you are grieving in the palm of my hands. Your words are ever before me. Forever, oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's totally reliable. Do we have any questions? Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.